0: Welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Andy, and thanks for tuning in. Today, I'm joined with my co-host, Sue. Hi, everybody. And Grace. Hey. So, before we get into our topic today, which is the outcast, I want to get some of our housekeeping out of the way. Our podcast is 100% funded by our listeners so if you're interested in giving as little as a dollar a month you can head over to patreon.com slash women at warp and we use that funding for all sorts of stuff con stuff equipment stuff cool stuff trust (laughs) and uh yeah so you can always support us there grace you're hoping to
1: get to geek girl con aren't you i am i'm supposed to be there it's in my schedule i don't have any panels that i'm involved with at this time but that could change Dun-dun-dun.
2: Yeah.
0: And, Sue, I think you're headed to New York Comic Con?
2: I am, and uh, so are some people from Priority One and Mission Log. So we are beginning talks, or still in talks, about possibly having a network Mm get-together. So keep an eye out for a Facebook event.
0: And also, since this is the future, congratulations on an extremely successful Dragon Con. Yeah.
2: Oh, why, thank you.
0: (laughs) I bet you're really tired from all of those panels you did.
2: I expect that I am. (laughs) And not
1: even hung over a little, I'm sure.
2: Not a bit. (laughs) That reminds me, I have to pack my flask.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, we have a special
0: guest today, Amy Angel Wings. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself?
3: I'm Amy Angel Wings, and pretty much everywhere online except Overwatch. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And... (laughs) I run Escher Girls. That, I guess, is now my most famous thing. I used to run comic reviews and other things. Um Escher Girls is a site on Tumblr, which is just about the way women are portrayed in pop media, like comic books and, and anime and other things. And video games, yeah, that was the other one. And like sort of on promotional box art and stuff like that. And just some of the ridiculous ways that women are portrayed in and posed in and stuff like that. Um, there's a misconception that is just about the impossibility of the pose. That kind of is where the site name came from for something. Sort of like an Escher painting where you kind of look at it and you go, oh, that looks okay. And then it's like, no, wait. That's kind of weird.
0: That's anatomically impossible. (laughs) Yeah,
3: but it's not necessarily impossible. It could just be ridiculous. Like, it could just be like, that doesn't, that's not something that you would be posed for. Not necessarily impossible. Like, I I sometimes got kind of stuck in quicksand syndrome, where it's like the enemies are behind you, and for some reason, every woman is always standing with her butt kind of turned (laughs) around, right? It's like, you can't move your legs. The boobs and butt pose, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not saying it's impossible at the time. Like sometimes there are sort of things where it's like, Oh, they, they moved one of her butt cheeks so that it can be visible. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or like they moved her boob so that it can be visible, which my friend called boob flounder. <laughs> but, but like sometimes it's just that it's. It's kind of ridiculous. It's just to give examples, mostly because I noticed a long time ago when I was writing stuff about this topic, it was like, we all know it's out there. It's just nothing has kind of curated it. So that's what I do, but it does, but like, I always get people who like, they like to focus because in my description, I have like an or, not an and. So it's like, it, it can be any of these things, but people just focus on the impossibilities. So it's like, you think that women aren't flexible at all. <laughs> and I'm not saying that. Nobody actually reads what I say. So I guess Aww. I'm used to that.
0: I remember uh, years ago, I submitted to Asher Girls a, uh, something from the Civil War comic where I think it was, is it Dagger and Cloak? It was Dagger, and she yeah. was pointing, and her boob, like, melted all the way down. <laughs> so you could get I both one, boobs yeah. into the picture. And, oh, like, one lord. of her boobs was legit at her belly button, just so we could see them both clearly. It was <laughs> pretty Good <amazing>.
3: lord. <laughs> it's just meant to get the conversation started. It's not meant to be the end-all and be-all. And I only take submissions about, like, sort of professional... Official art, sort of like comic books, advertising, fan art is fan art i don't mm-hmm. i I don't put that up right because yeah. I don't want people to feel like they shouldn't draw it's about what the industry selects for it's not about what you personally do, which I try my best to like because i I'm not for any sort of harassment culture, and I tell like sometimes I worry about this, but I always say like. No, I'm not picking on, like, random artists. i have nothing against that.
0: Well, that makes a lot of sense, I think. Yeah. And I really love that blog. It's fantastic, yes. And we've got a really good topic, really rich. We're going to be talking about the Outcast, the TNG episode. And when we put out a call for comments on our Facebook, guys, I don't think we've had an episode get this much discussion
1: no i think you're right
0: the comments that we got and the quality of the comments we got we got a lot of different viewpoints from a lot of different like lenses it was very very interesting so i encourage you all if you haven't already to go and check that out and feel free to participate because i was really impressed and our listeners rock so
1: it's so good that we have our listeners listening right
0: yeah This one's for you, listeners.
1: Let us listen to you.
0: (laughs) So, The Outcast. Just really quickly, if you have forgotten The Outcast, it is what I like to think of as TNG's very special gay episode. (laughs) Without any actual (laughs) gay. Yeah, exactly. And it is the one where Riker falls in love with a member of an agender race who decides that she is actually a woman and they fall in love, but her race in the end decides that she is wrong and needs to be cured, and they do so in a very disheartening end.
3: It's a gut punch.
0: Yeah, so I I think that this is an episode that people mostly remember, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the synopsis because I think that the actual themes of the episode are really rich and are going to give us a lot to talk about. Mm -hmm. so. So
1: first thoughts on this one? It's one of those episodes that, no matter how many times I see it, no matter how many times I know what's going to happen, I always find myself just wishing that it's going to end differently. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it, it always hurts to get to the end.
2: I think that this episode, in general, in general, <laughs> holds up really well, but that's because it's one of the TNG episodes. That's meaning for a lot of people has changed the most since it first aired yeah I mm-hmm. would agree because we're t- we're talking twenty five years nineteen ninety two to two thousand seventeen right that's twenty five yeah yes, and <laughs> it was very clearly intended to be about homosexuality, and today, I think a lot of people, especially people who are seeing it for the first time read read it as a trans allegory, yep yeah yeah so it's it's like the immediate thing you think about because of how society has changed has changed with the episode, and I think its effectiveness has changed depending on how you yourself interpret it and what you take from that episode
0: yeah, when I first time trekked it, I completely read it as a trans episode i i was and I was actually pretty impressed with it. For the fact that it was on TV in 1992, and please tell me Mm -hmm. another American TV show that did a trans episode, even if inadvertently, in 1992. Right. You know, I think we forget sometimes, like, how rare that would have been. So, I, I mean, there are plenty of, I guess, shortcomings that we are definitely going to be discussing, but I think. It's it's hard not to be impressed that they even made this episode at that time.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to be on for this episode because when you asked me, it was like, well, like this episode came to mind because I have strong opinions on it. I I sort of argue the trans devil's advocate where it's like, I know a lot of people have tons of problems with it, but I also think that it's kind of a good episode in some ways. Like, I think the speech at the end, which we're going to get to, like, if you just clip it, it's a really great sort of pro-trans speech.
0: Kind of timeless, too. I feel like that's the one part of the episode that doesn't change.
3: So, like, it's a trans episode that was in the, in like 1992, you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the thing is that like, people didn't catch that it was a trans episode, and part of it was that trans issues was not in quite in the mainstream right so Mm -hmm. people kind of knew gay issues it's accidental and it shows kind of an ignorance of the writers i think because it's like this is this is tng's sexuality version of the half white half black episode of TOS.
0: Let that be your last
2: battlefield.
3: Yeah, where it's like, we're going to make something up here. And they didn't make something up because it exists, <laughs> right. but they thought they were making something up.
2: They thought it was something preposterous that could never happen, so let's use it to tell a story.
3: There's a little bit of, like, I ca- I kind of find that cute. I don't know why. It's just like, ah, you think you're making something <laughs> up.
1: You think you're so creative. Isn't that
3: precious? <laughs> yeah but also like another thing besides their trans sexuality and gender identity stuff here is also that i i love like Riker crush and beverly crusher's weird romances with people (laughs) and like everybody they have a romance with is like there's something interesting about them not necessarily bad but Mm -hmm. and and also i guess beverly crusher also dates the trill right who Mm -hmm. ends up changing genders.
0: They do have a tendency to get the more interesting love interests, I think. Beverly and Riker. Yeah. There's none of this Troy business where they she just falls for smarmy ass dudes that do shady crap.
1: Although I guess in that case she's the mysterious love interest. <laughs> That's true.
3: So so it's like Rikers dated like the Mordo Assassin girl who I also love. Mm-hmm. And this is the episode I always say Riker dated the trans girl. Yeah. And Mm-hmm. People kind of forget that because they're like, she wasn't trans. I'm like, well, she wasn't, she identifies as the gender she wasn't assigned. So.
2: Yeah, she is quite literally trans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas she is also a metaphor for a lesbian.
3: She has to wear a lot of hats. Like, and I know that from, from like the gay episode point of view, it completely fails because there's like, uh, people want her to be more, masculine or to have a male actor or whatever and that would be good for the gay part for the trans part it's also complicated because then it would be like if you looked at her as a trans woman it would be another example of having a cis man act as a trans woman sort mm-hmm. of thing Well,
0: that's really interesting i never thought about it like that because to me, one of the things that would have been awesome about having a male actor is that it, the point of the episode, at least, I've always seen the strongest point of the episode is that gender is internal. So I felt like a male actor might portray that better or, like, drive that theme home better, but you make a really good point.
3: Yeah, and and I think for trans women, I can't speak for all trans women, but like some trans women who really identify with the episode, you know, it... They identify with her being a woman. Having like a cis person portray a trans person is always gonna be problematic, but sometimes if you have like cis men portraying trans women, there's always this trans women are really men sort of thing, you know? And, like, I think it's cool. Like, I like that Riker data, the trans woman. I think that's cool. It's the conflation of the sexuality and gender thing and the heteronormativity that kind of screws up the episode.
0: We had a Twitter comment that I thought was pretty straightforward about it. Olivia said, "'It doesn't quite work because it hinges completely on heteronormativity, female-identified attracted to male-identified, so it's strange.'" I thought that this, when I rewatched it, because I've rewatched it a couple times since I first saw it, I was more impressed with it when I first saw it than I have on rewatches. Although I still will always have a special place in my heart for this episode. But the thing that really struck me is that, like, we get this episode that is, at least they were attempting to tell a story about, like, LGBTQ, but, like, more on the LGB side of things oh yeah and then we end up with a straight couple essentially which is really interesting to me and kind of undermines what they were trying to do which is why i think it's so interesting that we're talking about it like is it a gay episode or is it a trans episode and i think that's so interesting like every time you look at it you can look at it at a little like skewed a little bit, and the whole meaning of the episode changes.
2: Just really quickly, in case we have listeners who are not familiar with the phrase heteronormativity, basically it means that being straight is normal. So the issue of we have an, an agender character who is, de- who, who, feel she is a woman and is is a woman and declares that to people and then falls in love with the man, while it's trying to be an allegory for homosexuality, they're still portraying a straight couple. Which we have no shortage of already.
0: Especially in Star Trek. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. But there's also some issues surrounding the portrayal of the Janai because they are supposed to be agender and asexual, and they are basically portrayed with all of the worst stereotypes of both of those communities.
0: Yeah, we actually got a phenomenal comment on that on our Facebook. From Tina who said as someone who is agender and asexual this episode seems like one I'd love a whole planet full of people like me that seems like a dream come true but then I watch it and I find nothing in the Janai I can relate to they're every awful stereotype about asexuality given form they look down on non-asexuals they're cold unfeeling and dispassionate they're incapable of having sex or romantic relationships or if they do then they are no longer asexual and on top of that, Soren's line about how the Janai used to have gender and sexuality has strong implication that their society was intentionally engineered into what we see. To me, that runs a little too close to the idea that asexuals are just suffering from a med- some medical condition that can be fixed. So I thought that was a really cool comment and that yeah. brought up a lot of issues, and I'd love to
1: discuss that a little more more. Yeah, one of the interesting things about this episode is, intentionally or not, it touches on a lot of different issues uh, with portrayals of members of the LGBTQ community and the asexual community. Again, whether it intended to or not, for good or for bad, it brings a lot of issues in discussion-wise.
3: Yeah, and I think that it's again, sort of, their Like, it's completely unintentional because Again, they, they think they're making stuff up again. Yes, yeah, so exactly. They didn't think that there was a gen, an agender community. They didn't think that there would be any problems with how they were portraying this because like the whole thing about Star Trek is that we move our issues onto a different planet so that people can sort of see it. Whereas if you put it onto humans, then people kind of get defensive. At least mm-hmm. that's the theory behind it, right? The
0: strength yeah. of the allegory and sci-fi telling is exactly that. It's it's giving us a lens to look at it from the outside.
3: But the problem is that there are people who are agender age and therefore it's like seeing themselves as this authoritarian society who are the ones doing reparative therapy is really messed up. And also that whenever people portray like androgyny in media, it's always like we're gonna have cis women play all the characters.
1: And it's always a very visually a masculine bent of right, androgyny. Exactly, you don't see a lot of male-bodied actors in skirts or dresses or anything. It's usually just is women in frumpy clothes with unflattering haircuts. I hate stereotype, but that's usually how you see it.
3: Mm -hmm. It's interesting, actually, how many different ways you can look at this episode, what people latch on to, depending on what means something to them or what doesn't. Like for me, I really love Soren. This gets lost in everything, but it's like Soren also the whole she bonds with Riker because they're both really good pilots. And then he's Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to let you pilot a shuttle you don't know how to use. And she's like, I'm a really good pilot. And then he's... Mm -hmm. Like, so am I. And he's like, wow, you are a really good pilot. And so there's also sort of a, like a gamer girl thing to me. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. (laughs) And like, and I kind of like that, like he likes her because of all these things, not just because she's stereotypically, like even when we're talking about heteronormativity, that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm.
2: I do also like that he outright asks what pronouns to use. Yep. But it is, not great that in you know 24th century federation yeah that commander Riker can't get beyond masculine and feminine pronouns
3: yeah and this is like the world building thing that kind of runs into the 1992 people who aren't aware of these things writing the episode yeah. so you end up with like now we watch it and we're like oh the future apparently has no we, ha- right. we don't use z or anything
2: the limiting factor for so much of this stuff is what the people writing the episode right. were familiar with and what they thought was possible or preposterous or they were making up.
1: And honestly, that gets very distracting. Just being like, really? You guys don't know about the they pronoun? I'm not, re- not even going to try. Okay, fine. Uh,
0: I would like to say, though, going kind of back to Sorn and Riker together, I have to say that i can't think of another person besides troy that has that much chemistry with
1: Riker. they have great sexual tension both of them
0: yeah it's it's pretty impressive like for me she's the only one-off love interest that i could actually see him like it felt organic and it felt like he really fell in love with her rather than just like oh this is the love interest of the week and i think that's why so much of this episode that still kind of holds on is because they felt very authentic.
3: Yeah. And I think that's why the ending hurts everyone so much because yeah, they're really rooting for them.
1: You just want those crazy kids to make it.
3: Yeah, exactly. And I also like that Soren, like, it, it is really heteronormative. It's really like in terms of what makes a man and what makes a woman. But I, I also think that in the way her questions to everybody and her questions to Riker and her questions to Crusher and stuff sort of exposes how constructed it is in our society too, because Crusher's uh-huh. trying to expose, like, she, like, wait a second, I have to think about this. Um, <laughs> makeup?
0: it is true it's like when you actually have to sit down and be like what is man and what is woman and like this whole idea of like these qualities are for men and these qualities are for women it's it does highlight how stupid that
1: is i do love that we get the bit with crusher where they're talking about makeup and she's like so women make themselves beautiful to attract men And only women do that. She's like, no, men definitely do that. They just do it different. (laughs) Oh, honey. Honey. Oh, honey.
0: (laughs) Uh.
3: (laughs) So should we also mention about the portrayal of Worf here? Yeah,
0: this is a good segue into how all of a sudden Worf is sexist.
3: (laughs) Yes, all of a sudden. This has always bothered me, where it's like, where did this come from?
0: I feel like they were like in the writer's room and they're like, we need to have someone push back on this so we can show the other side. But shit, shit, we've made this a a egalitarian society. Who do we make randomly sexist? It's the Klingon! Make the Klingon sexist.
1: Any sexist behavior he has, though, would have come from being raised by his Federation parents, though, right?
2: Right, that's the thing. Klingon society has (laughs) been shown as being sexist, but Worf wasn't raised in Klingon society. No! So what?
0: He also super digs really hot, strong women, which is something I share <laughs> with him. When I see Dax with a bat, left, I'm all about that. Okay.
3: <laughs> well, and it's it's like Worf has been playing poker with them for so long. Does he? Is this like is this the first time, or does he do this regularly? Like does he regularly just balk the way Troy or whatever plays poker?
1: Has he taken a bunch of cold medicine? What is happening?
0: It it just really is out of place. <laughs> Worf! Why did this come up now? Oh, it's part of the theme of the episode.
2: Well, I hope every time he brings it up that Bev calls him out on it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and it's like Worf, who, like, dated Kalar, is like, oh, women are so weak. And I just feel like Kalar should show up and just, the ghost of Kalar should show up and just punch him.
1: <laughs> I have a theory. And you may not all agree with it, but it's mine. My theory is he saw these sort of would-be Andro aliens and was like, oh, damn, that's kind of hot. And then it was like, wait, I'm not supposed to find that hot. Oh, but uh, no, hyping it up on the misogyny here. <laughs> the wharf doth protest too much is what I'm saying. He liked them sensible haircuts. You but see, me? this
2: little tiny, like, throwaway supposed to be funny scene though can open up a conversation about how effeminate words are used as insults yeah and that's a problem and that's part of microaggression society that's a woman's game or even that's so gay because the idea is that gay men are effeminate and being feminine is bad
1: or man up don't be such a girl about it right stuff like that
2: you throw like a girl you run like a girl it's a problem.
3: And it's also interesting because in the whole poker episode, even when Warf at the end, ends the scene of him saying, like, with all these wild cards in my hand, I don't even know what's, it's difficult for me to know the strength of my hand or whatever. Also goes to how he's like, he, it's, he's accidentally admitting that actually this is just making the game harder on him. It's not, it's not like yeah. he, he, he kind of dismisses it, but then it's like, oh, actually, there's a lot of strength to this and a lot of complexity to the wild cards. And it's, so I think that's sort of interesting, intentional or not. Sort of the whole, like femininity or things derided as being feminine and weak or whatever have their own complexities and strengths to them that people also have to master.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I've never thought of it that way. And I think you might be giving the writers a little too much credit.
3: No, I'm saying it's by accident. I'm not giving them any credit.
0: Yeah, totally by <laughs> yeah. accident. But I, I do think that's that's a really interesting point.
1: Uh, if I could break something up on the flip side here, in contrast, we have a scene later on where Riker is talking with Troy, and they actually have a really interesting conversation where pretty much he's letting her know, yeah, I'm I'm interested in Soren, and they have this conversation that goes kind of along the lines of Troy saying, you know, there's nothing you could do that would end our friendship. Our friendship is always going to be there. I'm going to respect you no matter what, both as an ex, respecting your choices to move forward and to see the people who you choose to see, but also as a colleague and a friend who just respects your autonomy as a person. And it feels like a very important scene, both in her just kind of as a friend being like, hey, you have my blessing. And as again, as an ex being like, You also have my blessing. You don't really get to see that in a lot of media, where people have a functioning relationship as exes, where there is mutual respect for each other, and not like a bunch of played up jealousy that we do see a lot in their relationship.
2: Yeah, I was going to say it's so much different from Encounter at Farpoint, right? Like, ooh, your ex boyfriend's coming on the
1: ship, (laughs) and they have this chaste kiss at the end of that of her just being kind of like, "You go for it, you go for it, buddy," and. It's a very sweet, very tender scene, and I wish we got to see that portrayal of their relationship platonically more.
3: That's a really good point, and I really love that. And I think that's also why a lot of people read Sauron is so important to Riker, because he doesn't talk to Troy about the, the the women he dates that often.
1: No, he doesn't just brag about every notch in the bedpost to her. And,
3: and I really love their relationship, too, here, and where it's like... That, like, yeah, the 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 ex-relationship and stuff like that. Like, this is why I really love TNG when it's really working. Because it's, like, when I watch these episodes and as a kid, like, in reruns and whatever, I was always, like... See, this gave me a false impression of how adults work. Because I always, <laughs> like, adults are gonna be, like... TNG. They're going to be mature. They don't fight with each other. They handle their conflicts. They talk to each other. They can talk openly.
2: Star Trek ruined me for real life.
4: <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, actually not. not. They're not. Those adults are not more mature.
4: Also in the ways you'd expect.
3: Well, yeah. <laughs> and also... It's like, um, like the whole Gene Ronberry no conflict thing that the TNG writers always complain about. I, I like it. Like, I know people, like, because, because you're right that in other shows, it would be like, Oh, the exes can't get along. They're jealous. They're, and here it's just like, no, I'm going to talk to you about it. And it's cool. Mm-hmm. And I love it.
0: Yeah. I, I like their relationship in general with a handful of like missteps, inconsistent writing across the seasons, but, I've always liked the way Riker and Troy deal with stuff like this, and I think this is an awesome example of that.
3: Yeah, and also about the relationships, going back to Worf, like, part of why they kind of set him up as the sexist who's uncomfortable with the Janai is because, and, and who's uncomfortable with Riker's relationship with Soren is that regardless, he's like, You want to go risk your? You want to throw away your career to save your trans girlfriend? I'm with you, Mm -hmm. and I love that at the end where Worf is willing to throw away his career too.
1: Worf has definitely got his back, not in the same way that Troy does, (laughs) but he's got his back. Or alternately, Worf just really wants to break into onto this planet and have a stealth mission with Riker.
3: (laughs) Well, probably he's he's (laughs) yes, he probably has that on this bucket list. He
1: just wants to screw with the Jedi a little bit, cause he can't screw the Jedi.
3: <laughs> yeah, and that's unfortunately the other thing that you, it's also that when, because it's also like he doesn't like the Jedi anyways, and Soren is breaking that, so it's not super perfect, but I still like, I, I still love when he's like, I will go with you.
1: I got you, bro.
0: Space bro's got a space bro. One thing that we haven't totally we've kind of touched on, but haven't really explored yet is the aspect of the conversion therapy. So let's talk about the conversion therapy ending, which there was a lot of discussion about this on, on Facebook about whether or not they liked the ending, whether or not they thought it worked. Like there were a lot of people who liked it, who thought that the sadness helped. And there are some people that did not like the ending at all. One of my favorite comments on that was from Peter. Uh, And Peter said, the ending was problematic. It portrayed conversion therapy as effective, leaving no lasting negative impact on the individual. It removed the horror of the experience and in so doing reinforced the perspective of those forcing the change. It was limited in what it could get away with on TV at the time, but that took a powerful episode and removed some of its teeth for me.
1: Definitely. Definitely.
2: I have always read this as tragic as it's supposed to upset you and supposed to make you feel terrible. But I have also, maybe I'm the only one who also read Soren as playing the part. So that, that it didn't really work, but that she had been tortured or beaten or whatever terrible thing they might have done to her into just blending in and not sticking out anymore. That's... The
1: thing, though. They could have easily had her like say something to Riker, or they could have also easily just had it be an ending of, I'm not going with you to safety. I'm going to stay here and try and change my society from the inside. Which we've seen in a bunch of different episodes of Star Trek, and it's just a case here of, well, why not now? And I think, honestly, it's because, I swear, we cannot get a gay story with a happy ending when straight people are writing it. Because we always have to be the tragic figures, and that is exhausting. But this was really an opportunity where they could have had an optimistic ending that still carried gravitas, but just chose to go with the tragic ending.
0: I think it's a little bit ambiguous on whether or not Sorn is actually, quote-unquote, converted, which also gives us a lot of different in- interpretations.
3: This is interesting because it's like, I totally get the complaints that they didn't show the horrors of conversion therapy, or maybe she was faking it. And like, I do root for a happy ending. I kind of feel like this episode is always going to head this way. And I, it, yeah, it sucks that it's yet another bury your gaze sort of episode. And, but also, like, for me, personally, I think that a, that she wasn't faking it, and B, the conversion therapy, that, like, it, there's no lasting scars or whatever. I think the point for me is that it doesn't matter. Like... Like, let's say conversion therapy in real life was just perfect. You could zap a ray at someone and change them to being straight or cis. But would that be okay? Like, if there's no actual harm and you're just mind-controlling people, is that okay? No, it's not. It doesn't matter. You're taking away her identity. You're forcing her to be something else. It doesn't matter whether it's torture or not. And for me, I think it's really effective because it says... The problem isn't whether or not you're hurting people physically or whether or not you're hurting people mentally. Even if you had a perfect ray that could just fix people, it's terrifying. You saw who she was stripped away, and that hurts. That in and of itself is torture. Right. You're yeah. taking away someone's um humanity. Star Trek, like especially TOS, did this all the time with their... Like societies that are controlled by computers, mind controlling mm-hmm. people and taking away who they are, and and I think it's effective to viewers. Some viewers, I mean, like it depends. But I think there is an effective narrative there, where it's like even if it was perfect, a lot of people empathized and were rooting for them, and I think that's sort of effective. Where it's like, oh no, she's gone. That's terrifying. That's that's awful.
0: Yeah, that leads right into one of uh, another one of our Facebook comments that kind of reacted to Peter's view that the conversion therapy part was not well done. And that was from Keith, who said, I think the conversion therapy was the best part because it came off as a horror movie reveal. For me, before this episode, I was against gay folk, all for conversion therapy and all of that shit. So this episode showed me the humanity of people of any or in- orientation and what if you got what you wanted keith behold she's been cured so not only do i learn what a piece of shit i've been about the topic i get to see the sad horror of what it would look like if i got what i wanted for gay folk back then the conversion was the great final punch that was needed for myself and others to never forget the lesson So I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he he, he commented a couple times in a couple different places, and he straight up said that this episode changed how he viewed gay people.
2: Yeah. And in one of the comments, the one I remember the most clearly, he said, it made me realize I was the bad guy.
0: Which is really powerful, and which is why this stuff matters. We get some criticism sometimes that we are just, you know, trying to find things to be upset about no (laughs) storytelling matters media matters how we show humanity in our stories matters and can change minds and so star trek is an amazing vehicle for that and here is a great example of someone who went into that episode thinking one way and it changed his mind which i think is one of the most effective ways to teach people to have empathy for others is to have them see stories like this
3: yeah the person says it's like a horror episode it's it is because it's like it's like invasions of the body snatchers right there is a genre of horror uh, about losing your identity and being part of the whole the borg play into that
1: yeah absolutely yeah
3: i think this episode plays into that too so the whole like she's been subsumed back into society even if conversion therapy leaves no scars it is terrifying to people like that sort of losing your identity thing is the most terrifying thing to me, and it resonates with me and i I think it resonates with other people so if it if if that like it doesn't resonate with everyone, it's really interesting for me to read the comments that you show you showed us and how different people react to it, but for the people who are like really sensitive to the whole losing your identity thing being subsumed, like the Borg. Yeah, I think that this is another episode that's about losing your identity. Like, the game scares me because of the whole, your friends and family have been, have been turned against you and sucked into this other thing. And this episode is also terrifying for that, too. So I think at the end, when it's like, oh, she's just been subsumed by the whole, she's been changed, she's no longer her that hits hard for some people this is the argument that's happening in society now where it's like what happens if one day they had a way to like fix you or like to fix trans people or fix gay people and if it was just like zap a ray and you're fixed you no longer have the arguments that you're actually torturing people or you're making people do something they don't want to do then it's like is that okay i say no And so this is why I think this episode is sort of strong in that.
0: I actually do want to talk a little bit about the various audience reactions. Like, even just on this one thread on our Facebook, the reactions veered from I was left sobbing to this episode makes me sick to I never rewatch this episode because it upsets me too much. Like, ran the gamut, okay? And I wanted to talk about something that kind of occurred to me while I was reading some of these comments is that although there are definitely exceptions, I feel like there was a difference in the way that straight audiences reacted to it and a way that queer audiences reacted to it.
2: Most likely, yeah. And this was self-identified in the comments?
0: Yes. It felt to me like it was more effective for straight people than it was for queer people. For me, it's always been a mixed bag. I think there's a lot of good in it, and I think there are a lot of problems with it, too. But you know, for me, it's also one of the few episodes of Star Trek that really tries to answer any of these questions, whether or not it meant to, or explore them whether or not it meant to. So for that, I always am going to give it at least some credit, and it's always going to be special to me. But I thought it was kind of interesting to kind of look at some of the reactions, and you saw a lot of people who self-identified as queer in some way who really reject this episode, and I thought that was interesting.
1: Well, it's trying to do a lot, but at the same time, so much of this episode gets tripped up on this idea that gender identity and sexual identity are, like, joined at the hip. Yeah. And that really muddles the message they're trying to make. Like, you can really clearly see it as being an allegory for trans acceptance, for gay acceptance, but at the same time, because of the wording and because of the writer's lack of understanding of the difference of gender identity and sexual identity, they just kind of flip the two, like they're interchangeable, and that... Again, it makes the the lack of knowledge that the writers have very distracting. But it does really force you to think to yourself a bit about both of them, even though you know that you're not having those ideas suggested to you in quite the right
2: way. And that lack of knowledge in an episode like this is an excellent argument for diversity not only on the show, but in the writer's room.
1: Absolutely.
2: Absolutely.
0: Think about how different it would be if they had had Tina in the writer's room helping them portray gender, people, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep.
0: So, and I mean, speaking of behind the scenes, like, one of Rick Berman's quotes on this was, we thought we had made a very positive statement about sexual prejudice in a distinctively Star Trek way, but we still got letters from those who thought it was just our way of washing our hands of the homosexual situation.
1: I kind of agree on that point, actually, because I think this was in some ways their way of saying, we addressed that, we're done, we don't have to that thread up again we we already did our part yeah
0: because for me that quote says to me like what do you want we we did an episode about it you know what i mean it feels very much like we did our token episode queers shut up you know and that that to me kind of like that misunderstanding of the queer community plus like the dismissiveness kind of runs through the episode and like yeah, they tripped over a lot of really interesting ideas, but how many of them did they trip over, over through sheer
1: ignorance? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Also get to go back and watch this episode with that wonderfully fun feeling of, oh, how much of this was just them kind of thinking, this will appease them and then we don't have to ever deal with it again. Well, mm-hmm. they didn't. So, yeah. you know? Yeah.
3: I think that's the problem, which is that in a vacuum, this episode is, like, I like it. I totally get all the criticism against it, but they don't do anything else. Like, if this was a stepping stone, then that would be one thing, but it is very much like, oh, we did our queer episode, goodbye. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a real problem. And a lot of, like, Like, I think this episode is sort of a death of the author thing, where you've got, like, you understand all the back ground you take from it stuff they don't even intend Mm -hmm. right but you gotta understand that this is also like you when you see all the stuff they said behind the scenes and rick berman it's like oh that kind of (laughs) sucks Like,
2: yeah yeah i mean like we said at the very beginning people are gonna take from it what they take from it and read it how they read it i mean that is how art works right and in the most broad sense, authorial intent doesn't really matter, because once you put something out into the world, it's there for consumption, right? Yeah. So we're going to talk about it, and we're going to maybe criticize it, but it makes me think of one of the tweets we got about this episode, which I think it, like really sums up this whole idea really well. Neil wrote, this one gets bashed today for not going far enough, but it spoke volumes to me at 10 years old when I first watched it. Yeah,
1: it definitely wasn't the stepping stone it could have been, but it was still a stepping stone.
2: Oh, for sure. And even if it has its problems, it spoke to people and it changed people. You know, we know it It changed Keith. We know it changed Neil. I was probably around that same age when I first saw this episode. I have to tell you, I don't fully remember my reaction to it, but I can tell you that for my entire life. I've been like, let people love who they love. What's the big deal? And maybe maybe I have Star Trek to thank for that. Who knows? <laughs>
0: we also got a comment from Maria that said, just like a lot of the groundbreaking episodes in TOS are no big deal now or even regressive, for its time this ep- episode was pretty remarkable compared to what else was on TV. Viewed in today's context, it really falls short, but that's a good sign of progress. It's a sign of progress. Yeah, I think that's a kind of a nice way to, to look at it is like, yeah, it, it, it maybe fell short, but they tried.
3: And it's like, I'm a queer identified person too, and I, I see all the problems at the same time. Like, I also do LGBT education. I do a lot of. Uh, training and helping agencies work on their trans and queer policies and stuff like that. I do a lot of 101. And it's like, this episode is not bad for 101. Yeah. And especially not bad for children. And it's like, a lot of children watch TNG. And because it's like, like, it is very adult, but it's also like, they've got the colorful uniforms. It's very bright. The characters generally don't fight. So I feel like a lot of children... Watch it, and therefore, I think it's impactful. It's not perfect. Like, okay, I'm not going to do the, it's not perfect defense, but I'm saying that that it affects a lot of people and kind of help them realize things is is also a positive thing.
0: Absolutely. One part that I think holds up amazingly well is Soren's final speech. And I think it's basically timeless. Like, it means as much to me now as it probably meant to people back then.
1: Thoughts on the the final speech? There's a reason that we've used it to defend our opinions on our Facebook page so many (laughs) times before.
2: We made a graphic of part of the speech after the Pulse shooting in Orlando. Yeah.
3: Oh, oh my god. Mm Mm-hmm. I am tired of lies.
4: I am female. I was born that way. I have had those feelings those longings, all of my life. It is not unnatural. I am not sick because I feel this way. I do not need to be helped. I do not need to be cured. What I need, and what all of those who are like me need, is your understanding and your compassion. We have not injured you in any way. And yet we are scorned and attacked and all because we are different. What we do is no different from what you do. We talk and laugh We complain about work, and we wonder about growing old. We talk about our families, and we worry about the future. And we cry with each other when things seem hopeless. All of the loving things that you do with each other, that is what we do. for that we are called misfits and deviants and criminals. What right do you have to punish us? What right do you have to change us? What makes you think you can dictate how people love each other?
3: So so this is where I, like, because I've been sort of softly defending this episode, and this is where I say, actually. Okay, <laughs> um, go for it. Okay, so I love this speech. Like, this is something that I would totally clip to show, like, and I have to show people, like, tri- like, sort of gender identity, because, like, it is sexuality, love who you love. But it's also, like, she says... I am tired of lies. I am female. I was born that way. I've had those feelings, those longs all my life. It is not unnatural. Like, So right there is the statement of gender identity, right? And this is who I am. This is who I've always been, not that I've become female. And And then it's all perfect all the way up to the end when she says, what makes you think you can dictate how people love each other? And this is when the the ties sexuality to gender identity.
1: Exactly, and,
3: yeah. And, and like, yes, the episode is about sexuality and tied to gender identity, but for me, it's, like, it feels tacked on. Just, oh, we've brought this a little too far. we got to bring it back. This yeah. is about how people love each other. It's not about the fact that she identifies as female, which I get is the episode, but that's always been the sort of the downer for me, where it's just, like, oh... Okay, it's not about trans stuff. I remember
2: it well it's as you're saying, it's that very last line where they they tie gender identity to sexuality that is what makes it so clear that they were writing their gay episode
3: yeah yeah and and that's always like for me also like like it's sort of a meta for me, and it always has been sort of a meta version of Soren's. Like Soren's conversion at the end, it, this part is sort of where it brings me down and I remember that what the writers really intend for this episode, where it's like, Oh, you're doing so great. Oh my God. This is like the perfect trans speech. Oh, right. This is what this episode, this is what you people think behind the scenes. Yeah. And, and so there's a letdown there for me personally. That's my butt. Like I think it's perfect except when it, that's, and, and, And that's perfect in terms of, like, talking about being gay and stuff, but it conflates uh, being trans with with who you are attracted to, and so that's a little bit of an issue.
0: Exactly. I think it's a great sentiment if you're taking it out of context. Like, that's still a great line, and it's a great idea. But then, like, if you're putting it back into this context, the way you're viewing it, Amy, it's... It, it makes it, the context changes everything.
3: But I think the speech is really good because it's, gets the core of the thing. And I think the portrayal of Soren was really interesting, as I said, because she's very likable. She and Riker have great chemistry because she's also like, I'm a great pilot. And I, I thought that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then as a gamer girl, it's always really cool and but (laughs) and because Riker's also like he's got that pilot thing but also that she's just like look we just want to live our lives we want to complain about work too (laughs) yeah like I love that part because it's not just like uh, everything's roses it's just like look we we just want to be who we are and it's like we have no we have no delusions about what this is going to be, right? It's just going to be life.
2: I was thinking more about this conflation of of gender and sexuality. And I wonder sometimes if that continues to this day because, you know, the way that we as humans like to divide things in that yeah. we have in a way created this for ourselves where there are cis- straight people and then there's everybody else and everybody else is under that one umbrella. So the issues that lesbian and gay people have are going to be different from the issues that bisexual people have are going to be different from the issues that trans people have are going to be different from the issues that asexual and agender people have. And we're, we're not all the same. And I think that, you know, because especially because the, the four letters everybody uses are LGBT And the T is so much different than the other three letters that it just – it everything just kind of gets tacked on and muddled together, especially if you don't know a lot. So for people outside of the community who might still just be learning, it's hard. There's a lot. There's a lot to know. Yeah. And there is – you're probably going to mess up. And if somebody points out that you've messed up, don't get upset about it. But maybe go and learn more. Mm
3: -hmm. Like, I did also want to mention about after her speech, because I also think that the conversation between Noor and Riker is really interesting, because this is, again, what happens when you moved real Earth issues to another planet so that people can see it a little more clearly. And it's good and bad, because, again, agender people actually exist, and this becomes an issue because you're not making something mm. up, right? So you're saying, like, they're the bad society. But also, I, I like, uh, what Noor says when, when Z says, Commander, after Soren's diatribe, you must think we are cruel, repressive people. Nothing could be further from the truth. We are concerned about our citizens. We take our obligations to them seriously. Soren is sick and sick people want to get well. This has always been the most powerful part of this episode you see commander on this world everyone wants to be normal and that has always been really powerful and really scary because that's you know that's our world Mm -hmm. we believe everybody wants to be normal
1: but other people are defining what normal is
3: right exactly and that's when i think some people might have been like, Oh my God, this is our world. Like, what, what have we been saying is normal? We, mm-hmm. what, why do we try to make people fit that? And this is what people who want to get rid of queer people, who want to do conversion therapy, who want to fix trans people, who want to fix gay people say, right? Which is that we just want to make you normal. This is not gonna hurt any this is not gonna hurt you. You'll be happier after it. We're not repressive. Like after and and that's the thing where Noor even says, like, after hearing this speech, you must think we're bad, but we're not. And this is also what conservatives here now say, uh-huh. right? It's like, oh well After hearing them talk about these things, you must think we're evil. But we're not. We're just trying to help them. And I think it's it's pretty powerful. But unfortunately, it's also conflated with the fact, you know, when it says here everyone wants to be normal, and Riker says she is. And it's conflated by the fact that she's fitting our version of normal. And their society is obviously alien and abnormal. So there's also unfortunately that dynamic that happens
2: When we were talking earlier about, you know, 1992, 1992, I went and was trying to find, like, the first positive depictions of a gay character on TV, which is a really difficult thing to find. It appears that the first gay character was 1971.
0: Yeah, the only contemporary to Star Trek, I mean, show that I can think of that even touched it is the Golden
2: Girls. Mm, Yes, yes, I remember that.
0: And they did a pretty good job because the Golden Girls is amazing and ahead of its time. Like, <laughs> hell. But, I mean, it's still it's still out of the norm, for sure. I mean, you had Sophia Petrilla sitting at her kitchen table making a case for gay marriage in what year? It's Blanche's son, right? Somebody in Blanche's family.
2: Okay, so the episode in which he comes and announces that he's marrying his, quote, special friend, Doug, <laughs> what
3: aired in
2: 91.
0: Yeah, see? So it is contemporary, yeah.
3: Wow. Like, also totally by accident again, in 1992, you have a positive portrayal of a alien trans woman, and I know that it's not, you know, it's accidental and everything, but it's like, she's not portrayed as a joke. She's no. pretty, when she talks to the crew of the Enterprise and Crush is trying to explain gender, it's, it's like, what makes someone male and female? Because, um, that's something that happens with, with trans people where it's like, what does gender identity mean? And what does society think gender identity means? And, but, but ultimately it doesn't matter because it's like, that's what I sort of think is an accidental strong point because she doesn't make herself more feminine. There's not a scene where she shows up to Riker with long hair and makeup or anything. It's just, she's just her, right?
0: If you look at it that way, instead of, you know, a very special gay episode way, if you think about trans portrayals, like, this is one of the best ones then, because you start thinking about other trans portrayals, not even just then, but now, and there's, like, no comparison.
3: Yeah, well, and and unfortunately, the reason is because she's female, because she's attracted to men. Like, that's the really unfortunate, that's that's how we know, but... At least it's not like, it's not that she has a makeup scene, right? And you know so many trans portrayals do, where it's like, a trans woman is like that scene where they put on makeup or a wig or try on a dress, and she doesn't do any of these things. She's curious about how humans construct gender, and it kind of exposes how ridiculous it is. Like, when Riker's like, well, when you dance, who leads? I'm like, oh, this is still a thing in the future? (laughs) Like, really? (laughs)
0: Well, Amy, thank you so much for joining us. That was amazing, and you were an awesome guest, and we can't wait to have you back. Where can people find you on the internet?
3: My Twitter is Amy underscore Angel Wings, A-M-I, not Y, A-M-I underscore Angel Wings, A-N-G-E-L-W-I-N-G-S. On Tumblr, it's Escher Girls, E-S-C-H-E-R-G-I-R-L-S. <laughs> At uh, .tumblr.com, although I am going to be moving it soon to an actual domain and probably another site. Probably Twitter is the best way to follow me because I am I also do video game streaming, but my channel name is going to change soon. And I'm going to be setting up a Patreon for Escher Girls and stuff like that. So if people want to follow me and pay attention to what I'm doing, uh, that's where you do it.
0: And I can attest that she's a great follow, so you should definitely follow <laughs> her. And Grace, where can people find you elsewhere on the interwebs? You can find me on Twitter,
2: at BoneCrusherJank. And Sue? I am on the tweets, at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R.
0: And I'm Andy. You can catch me on Twitter, at First Time Trek, where I'm live-tweeting through my first time through Star Trek. Thank you so much for listening to this very special gay episode. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everyone.